All right. So today I'm going to talk about two scandals in the church. I'm going to teach you what a scandal is. We're going to be not be scandalous today. You are not going to be scandalous today, all right? So we're talking about two church scandals, and the title of my message is Church Scandal. And my wife was like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm like, well, it is what it is, because that's the message I got. <laughs> so let's start with Matthew chapter 18. One, we'll talk about the first church scandal. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, my question is, why would they be arguing and disputing this question? Now, I know it may seem silly to a lot of us, but there is a lot of truth to this desire that is inside their hearts that could ultimately come into our own hearts. Now, in Mark chapter 9, we get the same story from Mark, different perspective, different angle, different lens. And Mark tells the story of that the disciples were arguing among themselves along the road away from Jesus so he wouldn't hear it. So then Jesus brings them into the house, Peter's mom's house, sits them down and asks them, why are you arguing among yourselves? What were you arguing about? He already knew the answer. And the disciples did not want to answer the question. Now, maybe they didn't want to answer the question because they were embarrassed. Maybe they were feeling convicted. And maybe because they didn't want to include Jesus in that discussion, possibly, right? We don't know for sure. But that's the first question, and this is the first scandal that we're going to talk about. Why would they dispute this question, and why would it be in their heart? Well, some things are obvious. Status, honor, value, recognition, notoriety, and fame. I know some of you aren't thinking, man, I want to be famous or I want to be known, but we live in a culture where status is king and where everybody thinks about your status and where fame and notoriety and honor and recognition is prevalent. It can be especially prevalent in the Western Americanized church, not even just in America, but I've seen it all over the world. Titles and honor and people being known by what they do instead of who they are. This is an issue in the church today. And it was especially an issue in Jesus's day. So Jesus would address this directly in Mark chapter eight, verse 15. And he would say a couple things. He would say, take heed. And anytime you see take heed in the Bible, it means you better pay extremely close attention to this point. And you need to always be aware. And then he says, be aware, be aware. Beware, take heed and beware of what? The leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, the Pharisees and Herod would do everything they can to oppose the coming exodus that Jesus would provide on the cross, just like Pharaoh would. Jesus's body being crushed and bruised for our iniquities and the veil being torn in two is a picture of a second exodus of God leading all of us out of Egypt through the cross and through the blood, all right? So there would be extreme opposition against Jesus going to the cross, and there would be extreme opposition by people who wanted other people to follow them. They wanted fame, notoriety, recognition, and honor. We're gonna talk about honor here in just a moment. This is called the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And Jesus says, you better beware and you better take heed. Leaven or yeast 
is a picture of sin and impurity in the heart of our lives, in the heart of a believer. So think about the Passover. In the Passover, the Israelites were commanded to eat unleavened bread, and it's the same today. Jesus wants us to not have any leaven in our heart, but we're specifically going to talk about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So Herod was a wicked, wicked guy. There are actually two Herods. The first Herod issued a decree to kill all the firstborn children under two of Israel because he had heard about the Messiah, the king of the Jews, and he wanted to kill him. Then we have the Herod that would kill John the Baptist for calling him out in prophecy for an illicit relationship, an illegal relationship. And John the Baptist, in a sense, would be beheaded because of that. That same spirit was prevalent in the day of Jesus and is prevalent in our day as well. And so the leaven of the Pharisee specifically made it about themselves, which is the antithesis of the kingdom. It's rooted in pride. Anything that's of us or selfish ambition is the antithesis of the kingdom. You have to understand the kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It's a backwards kingdom. It's opposite of the way that the world is, okay? So in Mark chapter nine, Jesus would address this a little bit differently. He would say, he would sit the disciples down and he would call them to himself And he says, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last and servant of all. He shall be last and servant of all. So we have to take heed and we have to beware because we're constantly in a world that wants to value your greatness and make you great. Now, I was raised this way. Some of you may not have been raised this way, but I was raised by the world. So I was raised with a view of success fame, notoriety, and recognition and accomplishment based on what the world says it looks like, all right? And so Jesus would make it very clear that to get into the kingdom, you're gonna have to humble yourself or you have to become like a child. I'm gonna show that to you and humble yourself instead of desiring to be great. Now, I actually like to win. I grew up extremely competitive, I was a state champion wrestler. I was a conference champion pole vaulter. I like to drive fast cars and I like to win in a race. Really. I was raised to be extremely competitive as a child. I was raised to be successful and popular, make good grades, do really well, go to college, have a career, make a lot of money, and in turn, be successful. But you have to understand that God's design of success is different than the world's view of success. The world's view of success is status, notoriety, honor, being honored, position, wealth, money, careers. And then we find ourselves living in this world of comparison. So people are depressed because they're constantly comparing themselves to what they see in the world system, social media, the news, whatever it is, celebrities. The challenge is, is if you're not aggressively raising your kids to be dialed into the things of God supernaturally, then they'll be dialed into the things of the world in a false, bewitching, supernatural way. Because the world wants to bewitch your kids. Hollywood, celebrities, fame, recognition. If we don't raise our kids properly, the world is gonna do all it can to raise your kids improperly. And that's why I said last week, if my kids 
And for some of you that are visiting, I have three kids, nine, seven, and four. For, for my kids, I'm gonna, if, if they choose when they become of age to believe that God is not good, they will have not gotten that from me. I'm gonna give them every reason to believe and know that God is good. Because I live in a world of proving and establishing by example the goodness of God. It doesn't mean there's not hardship and trouble and difficulties. I go through everything that we all go through. Finances, health issues, struggles, challenges. I see the world. I'm not blind to the things happening in the world around us. But I also know that my kids need to experience the supernatural of God. Now, if God's not supernaturally real to you, he won't be supernaturally real to them. So I don't just wait for church, though we bring it to church, like supernatural nights. Like this Wednesday, I'd actually really like the kids to lay hands on the sick. They're innocent. And I'm going to show you why God uses a child to exemplify and represent him. There's a reason why God uses a child. And then God says, you need to go backwards. The Bible doesn't say to all those that receive and believe him, John 1, 12, they'll become nice, stiff, mature adults of God. And some of y'all are like super spiritual adults of God. And God says, no, you have to go backwards. And he's gonna give us an insight in what it means to be the greatest. But what I wanna say to you is that I was born and bred to be successful and to be great and to use my gifts, my talents, my skills. And when I was much more handsome, younger, my looks. <laughs> I desired to be popular. I was active in sports. And I pursued anything that would give me the upper hand. And it never worked. In fact, it killed me. And it would wind up leading to a life of destruction, broken relationships, in and out of jail, alcohol, drugs. And so God would have to kill that inside of me. And he has to kill it inside of you. But there's another leaven that comes back around. It's almost like there's a, another deceptive thing of leaven there's the leaven of trying to have status and notoriety and recognition based on the world standards, but what about in the church? See, pastors and churches that eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are all about putting themselves in the position of God, becoming the man of God, I'm the head, you're the tail. It doesn't work that way. In the kingdom, Jesus says, I didn't even come to be served, I came to serve. So it's bottom-up leadership. It's upside down. And we have to get this. You have to get this. Because as you grow in the things of God, the devil switches. When he couldn't get you with drugs and alcohol and sex and the way you used to be, he'll then start to creep in with this other type of leaven of you're not noticed, you're not recognized, they don't see what you do. They don't honor you, you're insignificant. So then we hop around to find value at other places, we become church hoppers. Instead of being planted, understanding that actually one of the best things ever is when you don't get the accolades of man, but God sees when no one else saw. In fact, think about the leaven of the Pharisees. They would pray in public to be seen by men. So God says to you, go hide out where no one sees because promotion comes from the Lord. And I get it. It's like we all, we all like compliments and we all want to feel good about the things that we do. But if it has any root of pride in it, God will remove it from you. You know how many messages I preach? And please, I know y'all, I said this last service and I got like a thousand texts of people telling me how awesome the message was. But I'm just, 
listen, I'm not saying this for that. I'm saying to say this to you. Do you know how many times I preach my guts out and I give it all I got and not one person says a word? And it doesn't matter because it wasn't about the outcome. It was about the obedience. God cares way more about you being obedient than worried about the result. God will handle the result. So I said, God, I was praying this in worship. God, do what you do best and do the rest. Because you, you could do this way better than I can do it. So the challenge is, is there's this thing that creeps in about titles, positions, notoriety, fame, being seen, being recognized, and you having to have honor. And I get it. I've read the book, Culture of Honor. And I understand we should be honoring one another, but at what cost? Because if it ever comes down to the spot that's like, man, nobody says anything, acknowledges and honors. And I don't want that per se, but I also am going to say, if you don't get it first from Jesus, it'll never be enough from somebody else. You know, it'll never be enough. When does it end? That's why your total dependency and trust and identity is rooted and grounded and hidden in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not in what you've done, your accomplishments, your status, your notoriety. People come to me all the time. They come to this church. The presence of God is hot. Worship's hot. Preaching's hot sometimes. God's like showing up. And I understand. Like we've accomplished a lot of things. And you've done a lot of things. I get ministry rap sheets all the time. And people are like, man, here I am, I've arrived. I'm like, sit down and let me watch you worship and see how you do relationships and make sure you know your identity. Because if you get into a position of not being secure in who you are, you will combust in that position. And then what? The rest of your life, you're gonna be angry because you got removed or changed or switched or that wasn't the right fit or God said, time to change you up. I'm changing your position. You were the star quarterback, now you're the running back. And you know what? I need a water boy. But nobody wants to be the water boy. Now, there's a difference between healthy and unhealthy competition. I want my, my son, when he plays soccer, I want his team to win. Okay. I know some of y'all are like hopeless with Dallas, but there's a, I'm going to teach that hopeless in Dallas. Sleepless in Dallas. Sorry about that. That was for you right there. That was for you. Wow. The church is splitting tomorrow. Listen, I'm hopeless in Miami. Just tell me tell you right now, I grew up in Miami, so. Yeah. So the thing is about competition and honor and notoriety, what it comes down to is desire. Look at what Jesus said again. Pull that scripture back up. He said, if anyone desires, it comes down to the desire. It comes down to a heart posture. It comes down to what really matters the most to you. And Jesus says, if anybody desires to be great or to be first, he shall be last. And so even though that has to die inside of us, and maybe for many of you it's died, you still have to beware because it always wants to creep in. What are you doing? What are they doing with you? Why aren't you in ministry? Why aren't you being paid? Why aren't you being paid more? What's your status? They didn't see you clean the toilet. Nobody knew. Nobody said anything. Nobody was here on Saturday to see what you did. And what I'm saying to you is, instead of desiring to be first or great, make it your desire to be last. Don't even have the desire. In fact, if 
Jesus gave us the most incredible example of what it means to be exalted. And God reminds us in Philippians chapter two, if you want to be exalted, then you need to go to the cross, die, be a servant of all, and make yourself of no reputation. Make yourself of no reputation. No one saw, no one knew, but I was faithful in the little. And I was faithful in no one, and I showed up, and I kept showing up. When I didn't want to show up, there's many times I don't want to show up. I got kids, I got businesses, I got stuff. But you know what? What matters the most? And what field am I sowing into? Because I'm going to tell you right now, your tithe is way more powerful than your 401k. What is the greatest investment? The kingdom on earth or the kingdom of God? Now, God calls you to invest. God calls you to be good stewards. And I'm not telling you to not have those things. I have them. I have mutual funds and I have stocks and I invest money into life insurance accounts and I even have some crypto, crypto so don't hate me on that. <laughs> but the greater investment is not the things of this world. The greater investment is my time, my money, my life, laying it down for a much greater cause and a much greater purpose, especially when it's hard, especially when it's a sacrifice. So it all comes down to desire. Every day, with everything that we see and everything we naturally want to compare ourselves and success to, we have to fight the tendency to compare and to, to let the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod creep in. Why is that church growing? Why look at that church? Listen, I want revival to pour out in the city. The truth is, is real revival is not if it hits one church. If, real revi if revival hits here and we blow up, what, I don't even know. I don't even really care much for the term. The point is, is if revival doesn't hit the city, then it's just unto ourselves. What good is it if everybody comes here? What good is it if everybody goes to the church down the street? There's a reason why there's 850 churches in the Coastal Bend region. You gotta, you gotta not go based on style and preference. You gotta go based on the leading of the Holy Spirit and find your tribe and stay committed. And if revival pours out down the street, we don't all church hop to go see what's happening over there because real revival will be everywhere. And God is moving here just as much as he's moving there. It just may look different. That's by design, hence a body. So the leaven of the Pharisees is always chasing after the next latest greatest thing or wanting to be the next latest. And let me tell you, somebody and something will always be later, bigger, better, badder, and faster than you. <laughs> right? So to be first, you actually have to be last. Be okay with that. Just be okay with that. <laughs> this is, I'm gonna challenge you right now. Rubber meets the road. Can you be okay with being last? And I'm not talking about sports. I'm talking about this understanding that God says, take the low road, be the least. What's your desire? Jesus says, in order to be first, you need to become something. And it's a servant of, of all. So I'm asking everyone here today, how can you, become a better servant of all and to desire that over being first. Seriously, like 
we haven't had a potluck in a long time. I like potlucks. My wife's like, they're so old school. I'm like, we need a potluck. I want to taste y'all's food. And you know what? You know what? When we have a potluck, I can go last. I don't, I don't have to have the best seat. I don't need to be in the front and neither do you. It's not about me. I don't need bodyguards and an entourage. What I need is a flamed on culture that's on fire that defines what's normal. So that when abnormal walks in, whoever it is, they go, man, I can't stand here. I've watched people come in here that I know by the spirit are here to disrupt and have an ill intent. Some, we've had witches. We've had all kinds of people just come. But you can't disrupt what God is doing in the presence of God. And actually, I've seen them, and God said, that person, I've, Jesus, get them, get them. And they'll either stay or they'll run out that back door. And my prayer is that they'd stay and get healed and delivered. You can't overcome perfect love. Nothing can overcome perfect love. Nothing. So next, Jesus clearly uses children to teach us some incredibly valuable lessons on this topic. Matthew chapter 18, verse 2 then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And in Mark 9, Mark expands it a little bit more to quote Jesus as saying, whoever receives a little child in my name not only receives me, but receives one, the one who sent me, which means you get the Father's heart. And if you don't have the Father's heart, then anything you do will be corrupted. You need the Father's heart. See, I look at you as sons and daughters. I look at children. I look at the kingdom as family. I want to be a father instead of an instructor. I'm instructing you, but what I'm really doing is not giving you what I know. I'm giving you who I am. That's what real fathers do. I want to give the very essence of who God has made me to be away. Not keep it. And I don't want to just teach you about something that I don't own and that I don't know and that's not personal to me, right? And I don't want you to do the same, which is why you have to have experiences. If I've never cast a demon out, I can't tell my kids the stories of casting the demon out. But when I tell them, they're fascinated. They want to hear that one over and over and over again. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Instead of me just telling you the stories, let's get you hanging around the altar on a supernatural night. You never know. And if one manifests, I'll have you come and watch me and lay hands on them. Because if we don't fascinate our kids, the world's going to try to fascinate them. There's really actually no competition with Hollywood, but sadly, we are competing with them celebrities, fame, notoriety, the world system. That's why your kids, until they are mature and solid and of age, should never have a cell phone or access to the internet, ever. It's not like the way it was when I grew up. You have to be way, way, way more aggressive. I watch everything they watch. I oversee everything that they see. And I'm like, you won't drive until you're 25. And no, you won't get married till you're 40. <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So think about this. The way into the kingdom is by simple trust and obedience of a child. The way to greatness in the kingdom is through the humility and the resulting action of a child. 
That's why we have this term called being born again. It's the giant reset button that fixes all the corruption that was brought into your life from your parents and the world system if you were raised erroneously. It fixes that, especially if you didn't have perfect love from your parents, which I didn't. That my dad loved me the best that he knew how to, but it was very imperfect. And I forgive him for he knew not what he was doing. But I wasn't raised to read my Bible, to spend time with the Lord, to know the supernatural, to interpret dreams and signs and wonders and visions and prophecy and healing. And I wasn't raised to, to be fascinated by the things of God. And my dad just didn't know any better because he was raised that way. And really the way that dads are is the way that the child is. My son watches my every single move. So I'm like, watch closely, son. Jesus, you're so good. You're so faithful. And I don't hold back telling them. I mean, I have to be careful of someone because their little minds can't comprehend it. But I teach them valuable life lessons about the supernatural things of God. Early, at a young age. And so... This requires a conversion process to take place and a humbling of yourself. Notice that Jesus said in verse three, unless you are converted. Most people read this scripture, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom. It doesn't say that. There's this very important word here. It's called converted. Now I minister to all kinds of people that are lost all the time, really lost. And they know I'm a pastor. And they're like, are you trying to convert me? I'm like, yeah. It's exactly what I want to do. Why? Because I want to get you out of your old ways of thinking and destructive tendencies and behaviors and wickedness and eating from the wrong tree that's going to kill you and is killing you. And I want to get you into the life God always destines you to become. Right? And so conversion, if you think about the word conversion, it means to change from one form to another. You got to change. It's like a great reset. Conversion means to turn around or turn back. It means now I have to readapt for a new purpose. So God wants to change everything in your life and in my life. God never wants to leave you the same, ever. Now we can choose to stay the same. You can choose to camp out and stay in the spot that you're at. But that's not God's desire. He wants to rock you, flip you, transform you, awaken you, set you on fire. And he wants to get you fully back into the design and purpose that he created you with before the foundations of the earth. He predetermined that you would live in the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, now. And that means less of you and more of him. But it also means you got to go back. Everybody say, I have to go back. What does it mean? It means that the older you get, You actually, yes, you become a father and knowing God in a unique way, but he says, you better stay humble like a child. You better humble yourself and you're gonna need, he's literally preaching, go backwards. Become like a child again. I wanna be one big, wild, crazy kid in God's eyes. I'm gonna dance wild and I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to pray in tongues. I'm going to believe for the extravagance of God. I don't ever want to lose my wonder. If you lose your wonder, you lose your hunger. And then you're not fascinated anymore. God is awesome. He's a great big God. Woo! God is a great big God. Man, he's so good. If you can't see the goodness of God in creation, you have lost your mind. Be fascinated. 
Stare at a clownfish for an hour. Now, why would God use a child? Why would God say, unless you become like a little child and then go on to say, humble yourself? Why? Well, let's think about children for a minute. They have a low position. There's no competition for high status and no leaven in them unless you put it there. There's no leaven in a child unless you put it there. They're innocent. They still need Jesus. Trust me, they need Jesus. At the day they were born, they needed Jesus. But God holds them innocent until they come of age. And so children are completely dependent on their fathers, completely dependent on their fathers or other providers. They lack social power. And Jesus would treat them would treat powerless children as his representatives. They lack social power. Let's talk about social power for a moment. Now, I'm actively involved in a lot of the affairs of the city. I'm getting involved in all kinds of governmental affairs. Why? Not for social power, because I want to see the people that make the decisions for the city get born again. And I'd like to see mayors and city council members and everybody know the gospel and so that the decisions that they make are spirit-led. And I'm also fighting for long after I'm dead, long after I'm dead. I'm thinking way past the time I die. We're all gonna die, not all of us, but most of us will die before some of these kids are even being born, the voiceless and the kids coming. So you better start thinking 20, 30, 40, 50, multiple generations down the line. What am I putting into motion that will stand the test of time? And then I've got to fight. Our public schools are a mess. If you got a child in public school, it's bad, real bad. And I'm not just going to sit idly by while it gets worse. I'm going to do something about it. Not for notoriety and fame and social power and social status, but because we, none of us can sit idly by in this day and age. Every one of you needs to vote in this primary. Every one of you. Early voting already started. It's March 1st. And you need to vet the candidates and you need to vote on biblical values. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. You vote on biblical values. And if you don't know what those are, come and see me. I've taught on it long and hard. But it's a new day. We're not gonna sit idly by as the church anymore. And I've said this many times, I keep saying it, I'm not gonna be a 1973 pastor. And I know everyone that's young doesn't know what that means. In 1973, Roe versus Wade was passed as law. And where was the church? I, I, I'll tell you straight up who all I'm sporting. And I've told you, and I'll keep telling you, you need to get out and vote and make a difference. So a child has no social power. So God says, your social power comes in me, not in you. Not in your leaven, not in your status, not in your fame, not in your notoriety. But this requires a conversion process to take place and it requires humility. Let's talk about humility for a moment. Humility is not a very popular, popular word. It's actually tied to humiliation and no one wants to be humiliated. But God says, 
Become like me, led like a lamb to the cross, lamb to the slaughter, and did not open his mouth. You know what humility means? Humility means that you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. It means you actually think of yourself in a way that is much lower than what other people would think about you. Humility means that the view of yourself and your importance is low and modest. You have a low and modest view of yourself. It's the opposite of pride and haughtiness. I'm not that great. He's great. Now, does God want to exalt you? Does God want to exalt you? Cross, death, servant of all, no reputation. And promotion comes from the Lord in his way and his time. I don't know when, where, or how. I can try to tell you all the ways that I got here, but the truth is, it was only because of Jesus. I was never that good. I was never that great. In fact, the more broken you become in the kingdom of God, it's the survival of the weakest. In the world, it's the survival of the fittest. Now, that's not false humility. And there is such a thing as false humility. It's over self-deprivation. It's not understanding that God calls you sons and daughters and calls you to have authority and confidence in who you are. But rather, he calls us to humility as a little child, which requires trust, abandonment, and a letting go of your desire for power and control. Whoever receives a child in Jesus' name receives himself and the Father's heart for themselves and for others. What does it mean for, for an adult to be converted back to a child? Well, Paul gives us an awesome, awesome example of this. Matthew, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Prior to this, Paul says, if anybody's going to boast in their accomplishments and how great they were, it would be him. You could go read his ministry resume prior to this. But Paul says, what things were gained to me, these I have counted a loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things a loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Rubbish is a complete trash heap. And what Paul's saying, he's saying, look, anything that was gained to me actually was leaven to him. Now, it doesn't mean getting, you got a good degree and you accomplish things. And it doesn't mean that that's not part of your story. But those don't make me who I am today. I have made a lot of money in the corporate world. I've got a degree from Oral Roberts University. I've overcome a lot of things and accomplished a lot of things. But any success that I had that was gained to me, if I don't view it in the right light, becomes leaven and pride. It's the leaven of the Pharisees. Look at what I've done and look at what I've accomplished. And I'm not telling you to not do things and accomplish things. It all comes down to desire and pride. And why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you going to college? Why are you going to that ministry school? Why are you working that job? This all comes back to lordship. So Paul would say, I counted all a loss and I suffered in losing it. Why? To gain Christ and the excellence of knowing him. Everything points back to gaining Christ and to the excellence of knowing him. What do you really want the most? What really matters the most? 
So then Jesus goes on to explain what not to do when, when and what would keep us out of heaven. This is the second scandal. I'm going to give you the second scandal. And this word scandal is actually in the Greek, in these scriptures, for the word offense and sin. Let's read it. This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for them if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. And then Jesus, I won't read the next few verses in eight and nine, but Jesus would go on to talk about if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off or your eye, it's better to go into heaven maimed than hell with your awesome rock star body, right? But the word here for offenses in the Greek is the exact word scandalizo. It's where we get the word scandal. And I want to define scandal for you. The word scandal is also synonymous with being offended. So the mindset here is if anybody, now you've, you probably thought the scripture is saying, if anyone hurts a little child, it'd be better for a millstone. It says if anyone causes a little child, one of these little ones, to sin or to be offended or be scandalous. It would be better for a six foot tall, this is how big a millstone is, six foot tall, 10 foot in diameter, weighs over a thousand pounds. In fact, the minute it got wrapped around your head and thrown in the sea, your head would come off. Jesus says it's actually even better that that happens than what's gonna happen when we bring scandals into a child's life. Now, be patient with me because I'm gonna tell you there's a couple different ways that we can be scandalous and scandals in the church. So the word scandal means a snare. It means a stumbling block that impedes the way and causes someone to trip and fall, which then leads to someone to distrust and desert the one that they ought to trust and obey. And I would add, because they don't believe he's good. You can subtly lead a child away from the goodness of God, just not by believing and going after and trusting in the goodness of God, because they watch you. So it leads them away. Of course, harming a child. Of course, that's the obvious one. We'll talk about that. But the not so obvious one is that we impeded them from the supernatural and the power and the wonder and the word and the greatness and the trust by how we lived. I mean, the obvious is atheist, agnostic. The obvious is lukewarm Christianity. But I'm specifically gonna talk to you about the fact that we can scandalously raise our children and not even know it. It leads to unjust judgment. So first towards God, then towards yourself and others. So if I'm not fascinated by the wonders and the greatness of God, and I was led astray to not even know him and trust him, which I was, then I don't actually believe that God is good. And then I question that God is actually fair and just. So now I don't believe that God actually is just. And that's the greatest injustice you could ever bring to a child. And then that leads to even more. That leads to an offense. Because now they're offended and they don't believe God's good or trust his authority and power. But I also start to see you that way because I'm offended. This is the problem with offenses. Never get offended. 
Always forgive. Always walk in perfect love. Never hang on to any bitterness, no matter how bad or what they did. Leave the vengeance and the justice to the hand of God. And so what happens is, is because I'm offended, I disapprove. This is what God dealt with me in July of 2020. I was like, I don't like you. I don't like things I see in you. I think you're a fool. And once you start to think, say that in your heart, it's an extremely destructive path. And I had this about people. And God would have to deal with me and say, you're, you're not any different than them. I just had more mercy and grace on you. And you just don't see it, so let me show it to you. And I'm like, God, I'm a fool. He's like, yeah, but I turn fools into gold. And despite them, I use them just like I use you. This is the problem with scandal in your heart. It's offenses. And now I'm offended. And anybody that offends a child, it's, a, it's game on with God. And it's like, I don't see it. Pedophiles, human trafficking, child porn. Let me tell you something. Don't you think for one second that God has, does not have the upper hand. Don't think for a second God's not going to bring justice. It may not be the way we think it should be, and I hate those things, and they break my heart, and we're in a fallen world. But God knows and God sees, and you have a job to do something about it. Don't just sit back and be mad about it and complain about it. Get up and do something about it. So what happens is, is it leads children to apostasy and all of us to apostasy. You know what apostasy is? It's an abandonment and a renouncing of your faith. So a scandal means to entrap or entice to sin. It's an action or even it's, it's an action regarded as morally or legally wrong, which causes general public outrage or outrage in your heart. The one who stumbles finds themselves constantly annoyed in displeasure, which then leads to being indignant. They're angry and they're annoyed at what is perceived as unfair treatment, which then leads to rumor and malicious gossip. Let me tell you, this is a big deal to God, a really, really big deal to God. When we don't accurately point children in the way they should go and show them the goodness and the greatness of Christ, we ourselves become scandalous. So I'm gonna pause there for just a moment and I'm gonna say this to you. My dad did the best he knew to do. Baby boomer, raised in, the, in Kansas. I love him. But he was raised with some church hurt and abandoned the church and in many ways abandoned the faith and did not raise me. He raised me according to the world standard and he did the best he knew to do. He taught me hard work ethic. I had a checkbook by the time I was 10. I did chores. I worked hard. I valued work. I raked an acre and a half of 175 oak trees for 30 bucks on the weekend. He did the best he did, but I still got swayed by the world, taught by the world. Why? No Jesus, no Christ, no conviction, no power, no life, none of that. Scandal. And it was, un it, I'm sure it wasn't intentional. And many of you have raised children. It's like, what happened? I took them to church as kids. I did the best I knew to do, and now they don't want anything to do with God. But there was still a scandal. You were a nice Christian eating from the wrong tree. There's way more, way more. Now, I'm not saying this to beat you up. Do I want you to feel admonished? Sure. 
But here's the great news. Forgive them for they know not what they do. You're forgiven. Repent and get on the J train now. God has got kids and sons and daughters everywhere. You are called to be spiritual parents. The kingdom needs moms and dads now. And that takes sacrifice. It's not too late. You're not too old. Come on. I'm not saying this to beat you up. Own it. And people come to me all the time. I don't know what happened to my son. We went to church all the time. We did the, and I know you did the best they could do. But you know what? No life, no power, no fascination, no move of the spirit, no wonders. And I hope my kids don't go astray. And maybe some of you did do all those things and your kids have gone astray because they have to make the, the choice for themselves. But I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, look, if you missed it, just repent, own it, and let's get rolling now. Let's do something about it. Now, the most obvious scandal is things like child pornography. Over 50 million images and videos were shared last year with child pornography, and one in three of them were under three. It's horrible. I'm not out to just be a, throw a wet blanket on y'all, but if you can't turn a blind eye to this kind of stuff, child pornography is the fastest growing online business above them all. Human trafficking is real. Kids are being sucked in. I'm, I'm going to get in the trenches and fight for your kids. You fight for mine. Yeah. Let's fight for the generations. Yeah. You want to move the heart. If God gets so upset about leading a child astray, how happy will he be when you lead them in the way? Yeah. Here's my advice. Just say to your kids, this is the way. Yeah. That was for Jordan. Yeah. This is the way. I'm like, why are you doing that, daddy? This is the way. Some of y'all don't watch The Mandalorian, but that's where that reference came from. All right, there you go. This is the way. Let me give you one final example. I'll pray for you guys. In the Old Testament, we have this, this an example of God being like insanely upset, like ticked off, very mad. Like so mad that he started to send fire and he started burning people up on the outskirts of the camp. Now, they're three days out from Sinai. God had done incredible, miraculous signs and wonders. Cloud by day, fire by night. Awesome, awesome, miraculous events. Three days out, the mixed multitude and the people start complaining. And they're like, take me back to Egypt. Food was better. Life was better. You just brought us out here to die. And it's like, they did this 10 or, 10 or 11 times. So that's not new news. But here was what really made God, and this is the worst scandal you could ever bring beyond, beyond the, the normal, the, the stuff that we know is horrible. To, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about to you. Numbers 11.10. The people were so upset at God, they, they started weeping, and I will throw in complaining, throughout their, what? families and everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses was also displeased. And then you get verse one. God was pretty upset that when he heard the people complaining, it displeased him. And he started burning up people and consuming fire in the outskirts of the camp. Why? The good, they were literally complaining against God in front of their kids. You know, the sad reality, I, I mean, I hate bringing this stuff up 
But do you know who the number one purveyors of child pornography is? The ones that promote it? Family members. It's jacked up. Parents. It's sick. It's terrible. But God looks at us as parents. And he says, are you complaining against God? What about his timing? What about your money? What about your future? What about your career? What about the problems of this world? Listen, pessimism and negativity is not a fruit of the spirit. The Zoe animated, vigorous lifestyle of being born again is not negative. And yeah, there's negative stuff everywhere. And I have to teach my kids. Sad reality is every time a police officer goes by, they're like, oh, daddy was in jail. They're like, well, I ain't going there now. <laughs> there goes the police officer. Dad, what was jail like? It's like nonsense. Here's, what, here's the scandal. This was the scandal. Think about it. How often do we find ourselves complaining? If you don't get your eyes off the world and get them on Jesus, listen, I'm going to jump on this wagon. Facebook and TikTok is not your friend. Now it can be used for good. And don't think for a second that God doesn't use technology. And don't think for a second that the devil's got the upper hand on technology. There's nothing new under the sun. We just discovered it finally. It was always there to begin with. The internet was there then, thousands of years ago. God can use it for good, but you better be using it for the right reasons. Otherwise, get off. Get out. So, I'm, you don't see me on it very much. Some, very little. If you don't see me liking, and it's because I'm not on it. Because I have a disdain. And I also know what's rooted behind it. The developers and the owners and big tech, they don't like your faith. And they will shut you down if you say something that they don't like. Some of you already been shut down. <laughs> Scandals. Now you need to be real with yourself and we're gonna pray now. Have you been that one that has been chasing after notoriety, fame, recognition, and honor? Have you been bitter if you haven't got it? Are you, have you allowed the leaven of the Pharisees to come into your heart? Maybe you were raised in a real religious church and it was leaven of Pharisee everywhere and you're coming out of it. But you know it was there. Just repent. Then the next scandal is maybe you missed the mark with your kids. Oh, okay. So many people have. I'm gonna repent right now publicly. I, even in my best ability, I'm not as good as the heavenly father and I've made mistakes with my kids. There's been times where we've lost it and raised our voice. Now we don't yell, though they think it's yelling. I'm like, I'm not yelling, I'm raising my voice. You don't wanna know what yelling sounds like. We don't cuss at them, we don't abuse them, none of that stuff. But still, there are times that we lose our, we get in the flesh, let me just say it that way, right? Little kids have this way. And marriage does, right? Marriage, let's, I better not go down that route. But, but what I'm saying to you is, look, don't live in regret. I don't want you to be regretful. I want you to be repentant. There's no regret. 
God's a God of a million chances. Okay? You have a job to do. You're not too old. You're not too young. There's teenagers in here that have brothers and sisters that you fight with all the time. You're always fighting. You're bickering all the time. And God's called you to be the one to love them and show them Christ. You've got to get the leaven out. Beware and pay attention. Because here's what happens. As we grow and more of you start doing things, the devil has this natural tendency saying, they don't know you, they don't see you, you're not noticed, you're not valued, or what about your position and your title? The straight lie from the garden. Take the low road. Be okay with being last. Just do it. Die now. Just die now. It'll go way better for you. Take my advice, young Padawans. Just die now. Just die now, all right? Now close your eyes for a moment. And while y'all have your eyes closed, I'm gonna have my prayer partners come up. All my prayer partners come up, please. I just want you to have a moment of reflection. Now you just gotta be real with yourself today. It's never too late. I, heard, I hear the Lord say this. I'm gonna say this over you. It's never too late. It's not too late. And even if your children are grown and they became prodigals, it's not too late. How can I be a servant of all? In fact, a good prayer is, Lord, make me a servant of all. Make me a servant of all. I want to be great, God. So I'm going to serve everyone I know. And I'm going to humble myself. And whatever that greatness looks like, I don't care. Whether it's on this side or the other side. And some of you may need to repent. You've been angry, frustrated. Whatever. And here in a moment, I'm going to ask you all to come up if anybody needs prayer. You ask the Holy Spirit if you're supposed to receive prayer today. Some of these prayer times can be the most life-changing time in this church. Angry, sick, struggling mentally, physically, mad at God. Maybe you're offended and you don't like people and you don't like God sometimes. So if you've been complaining, all that stuff, you need to get that out today. So I just speak life over you healing over you, strength over you, your marriage, your kids, your family. And I pray God for uh, a great comfort and a great download from heaven about humility and becoming like a child. And that God, we do all we can to point these kids into the presence and the fire of God all the days of their life. Fire our kids up, God, and use us to point them and be examples into the greatness of your heart. Give us the Father's heart today. Give us the Father's heart in the way we love others and treat others. And I thank you for that, Jesus. Let's all stand.